theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. Amen. Open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 3. Praise God. 2 Samuel chapter 3. What a wonderful presence of the Lord that's here today. He is good all the time. Amen. 2 Samuel 3, 1. Look at this. Now, there was a long war. Everybody say long. A long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And I want to preach this thought to you this afternoon. Houses in conflict. Houses in conflict. Would you help me pray for a moment? Just lift your hands and let the Lord know that you're ready to receive his word today. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for what you're doing in this place today. I'm thankful for your presence. I'm thankful for the unction of your spirit. I'm thankful for the anointing of your spirit that's in this place today, God. It's upon everybody here under the sound of my voice, God, from the front to the back, side to side. We release the gift of faith in this house. We are going to receive your word gladly. We trust you and your word, Lord God. It sustains us. It is the bread of life. Do what only you can do. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Clap your hands until the Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You want to stay? Okay, no. Praise God. No. What you want to do? Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. You comfortable staying? Don't go nowhere. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. If you feel like you need a little break, take a break. We, uh, earlier uh, this week, our pastoral staff, uh, we went down to, to tour the uh, location of our second campus. And I celebrate that. Praise God. I'm going to say that one more time. I thought I might get a little bit more. The, the pastoral staff, we went to go see the location of our second campus. And as we were checking it out, we were praying, we are visioneering, we are talking and discussing and, and strategizing and really uh, kind of sharing what the Lord had laid on my heart. And as we came together this past Friday for prayer, uh, the band, our worship team, shout out to our worship team doing an amazing job. They needed to reschedule. They typically practice on a Thursday. They rescheduled. They were more needed to practice on Friday. And that worked out because our team could go down Thursday and we were down, uh, we were downstairs praying in the prayer room. You know, we just called it the prayer room. I don't know how many people we had. We just opened up the hallways and uh, we prayed in three different rooms. And praise God, I just turned up the music real loud and we just worshiped. And God just came in and filled that place. And I'm so thankful for what he's doing. Um, but as I was there, there's this little bench uh, that was uh, just right down in the hallway. I mean, it's like for toddlers, you know, for two and three-year-olds. And so I just sat down on the bench like this, and I was just talking to the Lord, and I was just, as I was talking to the Lord, I just said, Lord, you know, 
uh, I was looking. Now, I am, um, I'm not critical in nature, but I notice the details. I notice the details. And so as I was sitting down, I was like, whoo. I was like, man, this, 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 this space needs some work. We don't own this space, by the way. I'm, I'm thankful. We've got a tremendous partnership with Cooksville United Church, and uh, we've had it for a long time. I celebrate what God is doing. But as I, as I looked, I just thought, man, uh, I would make this improvement, and I would make that improvement. And uh, I was like, this could be changed. I said, we could start by just taking the duct tape off some stuff. I'm just, I'm just keeping it 100. That's just where my head was at. Not that I was getting discouraged, but I was like, Lord, I was like, and then I, I started thinking about this second location and the congruencies and the parallels. Because I was like, they got duct tape down there too, Jesus. I was like, you know, it would be nice to not have to fool with duct tape. I, that, that, that bougie uh, spirit was getting on me from Cassandra. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Praise God. I was like, you know, the, all of a sudden, duct tape just seems different. Since she done been with me, I'm like, I can't deal with the duct tape. I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. I used to not even see the duct tape, praise God. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm there, and I'm like, you know what? Man, that would be, it'd be good. And not that I was complaining or, or being critical, but I thought to myself, it would be nice to, to, to I thought, what, what would it be? What? I was like, I, I, I just completely jumped over owning this property. And owning us, I just, I just begin to envision like a brand new building. And I was, I was getting all excited, and I was like this, and and the Lord, the Lord dealt with me. And, you know, He said, "This is just what He said to me." You know, I'm not. I'm not he, well, this is the Lord calling. <laughs> what, what do you have to say, Lord? Praise God. Praise God. God. Somebody was quick with it, though. Shout out to being quick with it. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so I, he, he said, you know what? Uh, he said, I, I, I don't show up at the pristine. Perfect places. He said, I show up at the broken places. He went on. He, he, said, he said, you know, I show up in the broken places. I show up in the places that are in need of repair. I show up in the places that need to be transformed and made new. And I thought to myself, wow. And it was like, as he said that to me, and there's no coincidence that the second location is very similar in so many ways. I thought to myself, this is amazing. Isn't this just like God? Because as he said that, my paradigm shifts, and then all of a sudden, at least for me, I tap in, and I feel the glory of God in a different way. And I look around, and I notice Stacy. Stacy is there pouring her heart out to God. The glory of God is in this place. She's on her knees worshiping. I look down the hall. Pastor Barry's got his hands up. He's crying out to the Lord. I see, uh, next thing I know, I see Nadine. She's worshiping, and she's kind of, she, I won't say she was running, but she was kind of skipping down the hallway, praise God, and she was celebrating, and you know, and I'm looking, and the glory of God is moving, not predicated upon the conditions of a building. Can I tell you, I would rather have the presence of God, I'd rather have the glory of God 
than have all the gadgets and the pristine and the brand new. And I'm not hating on the brand new. I'm just saying I need the glory of God. I need the presence of God. I need the spirit of God to show up. And so as we're talking about that last night, I, I told my wife, I'm, I'm dwelling on this. I'm, I'm thinking about this because Christ, even in his arrival, is marked by humility and accessibility. When you think about it, it's this interesting juxtaposition that speaks volumes about the character of Christ and the nature of the kingdom he proclaims. He shows up in a manger in a stable where animals are. He doesn't make reservations at the Ritz-Carlton. It's not how God operates. It's not how he moves. This would move, if he showed up at the Ritz-Carlton, this would be in alignment with how we roll. Can somebody say amen? Praise God. I won't even tell you my story about how I ended up in the penthouse suite in the Ritz-Carlton. Praise God. The Lord is good. I just favor ain't fair. Thank you, Jesus. That was a long time ago, but... You can do it again, Lord, by the way. You, you did it before. You can do it again. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I mean, the, what was this? Well, anyway, let me stop. Let me. But, <laughs> but so I'm sharing this with Sarah, and uh, it, the thought began to resonate so loudly with me. I want to share this with you. God will decide the kind of house he will dwell in. See, if you look especially in the Old Testament, talking about a type. God got to build the house. He got to build the house just like he wanted. God got to decide what kind of house it was, was and he would demonstrate his sovereignty and fill, fulfill his purpose through that house. As a matter of fact, I want to show you something in the 122nd Psalm, verses 4 and 5, because the Bible tells us that the thrones are set and how they are to come through the house of David. Watch this. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. In other words, if you can ever find a house that is David's house, if you can ever find a house like David's house, God said that that kind of house I'm going to establish my throne through and for generations. In fact, I can prove through all of time, God will reign and he will rule the throne and the house of David. Which means this, if your house isn't like David's, the king isn't coming to your house. If your house is not like David's, the king isn't coming through your house. Now, there are a lot of things you and I get to decide in life. You get to decide what you're going to wear today. You get to decide who you're going to marry. And once you get married, well, praise God. You get to decide where you're going to work. You get to decide what color car you're going to have. Praise God. But there are some things you don't get to decide. You don't get to decide what kind of house God will dwell in. God decided what kind of house he would have for himself. And he said in the 122nd Psalm, verses 4 and 5, as I just read you, I will establish my house, my throne, excuse me, through the house of David. The Bible said that it was through the house and the lineage of David that kings would be raised up and eventually brought into earth. God manifests in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you want to know where Jesus is coming through, Jesus is coming through the house of David. Somebody say David. And if your house is not like the house of David, the king is not coming. 
Now let me give you some context as to what's happening here, what's, what I read to you. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, there's a very telling scripture about a place in history that Israel was. There is a conflict going on between two houses. And in reality, the conflict of these two houses is over the throne. Somebody say throne. Why? Why? Because as long as Saul was in power, the throne was occupied by people who did not have Yahweh's heart. And they led and they operated in false, illegal authority while the nation that they were supposed to be leading was defeated on the battlefield. They had no favor of God flowing on their lives. There was a long conflict between Saul's house and David's house. And the Bible says that in the midst of this conflict, something powerful happened, Pastor B. David's house grows stronger and stronger. Saul's house grows weaker and weaker. Why? David represents covenant. I'm coming for today. Saul represents religion. <laughs> This idea floating around that you can be your own man and do your own thing and advance your own kingdom, which is exactly what Saul did. But David had a heart after God. And here's what I've come to tell you. If you're going to host the king of glory, you've got to have the right kind of house. You cannot have a house like Saul and have the king of glory living in that space. If you want the king of glory living in your house, you've got to build a house like David built his house. The house of David is the lineage for which the king of glory would come. And God sets up his throne, and for generations, royalty will flow through the house of David. And today, what I hope to do is juxtapose Saul's house and David's house to express the differences. I'm going to tell you something right now. There are some people building a house like Saul. God ain't in it. They still have in church. And I'm going to tell you right now, having a good service doesn't mean that God showed up. Yeah, I'm messing y'all's theology up right now. Praise God. Help me. Help me. Holy God. Having a good service, even growing a church, is not a guarantee that the king of glory will show up. Somebody better help me preach this afternoon. I don't care who leaves. As long as the king of glory comes, that's why we came to church today. Let me give you the contrast between the house of Saul and the house of David. And what we have to do is because we understand that this year is the year that we're growing up. We're growing. We're growing into what Christ is calling us to. So what we have to do, including myself, is we have to take inventory. When I identify these juxtapositions, we should look at ourselves and say, how does this suit me? How does this fit me? God, what are you saying to me? Am I building a house like Saul or am I building it like David? The first thing I want you to consider is, the first juxtaposition is this. Saul had a house of pride. David had a house of pardon. Saul was a house of pride. When you, when you look at the life of Saul, you see the expression of pride. Pride is the kind of behavior that follows what King Saul did. Just read all throughout Samuel. You'll notice this. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, the Bible said that Samuel uh, anoints Saul as king. And in the 1 Samuel chapter 9, check this out in verse 25. I'm not going to read it. But they're talking on the rooftop of a house. And they have this discussion centered on, on the great war that will be coming from the Philistines. And Samuel told Saul, he let him know that through divine wisdom, he was going to have to wait a period of time before he did anything. 
He said, you're going to have to wait seven days for me to show up and to deliver what thus saith the Lord. Saul had to wait seven days on the prophet to show up. And guess what? Saul could not wait. Saul decides to take matters into his own hands. You can read about this when you get some time. But Saul decides to take matters into his own hands here. And here's what happens. He's rushing. Can I tell you, when you take matters into your own hands, you and I were rushing the purpose of God. But some of us have got to learn to wait. So they're like, hey, what are we going to do, Saul? Samuel's not here, and don't miss this. We've got to figure out what we're going to do pertaining to the Philistines, and I need an answer, and I get it. Saul's the leader, and they're looking to Saul, and they're pressing Saul, and Saul capitulates to the demands of these people, and he begins to take matters into his own hands. He said, I'm not going to wait on the man of God. I'm not going to wait on the word of God. I'm going to offer sacrifices by myself. And I'm going to do it like I think it ought to be done. And everybody that was in Saul's ear, you got to do something, you got to do something, thought that was a good idea. Saul is a leader. He has to make a decision. He has to make the call. What are we going to do, Saul? We need an answer now. We've been waiting seven days, and the man of God, the word of God, has not shown up. Saul succumbs to the pressure, and he makes an arrogant decision. He said, I'm going to move without God giving me a word. Woo. Whatever you do, don't make a move without a word from the Lord. Thank you. Praise God. Oh, but pastor, we got to do this. And we got to do that. We got plans and we got dreams and we got budgets and we got callings and we got purposes. We got to hurry. No, we need to wait till I hear from the Lord. Not just me. I'm talking about anybody. We need to wait till we hear from the Lord. See, the difference is this. We, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, you all know this, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. Don't you make a decision without acknowledging the Lord. You ought to understand. We might be able to see to a limited degree what's down the road, but the Spirit of God knows what's around the corner. Don't miss this. Saul made a decision not to, to wait. He, he said, I'm not going to wait. You may say, well, Pastor, where was Samuel? Why didn't he show up? Why didn't he show up in the seven days as he said he was going to show up in? I'll tell you why. God was testing the heart of Saul. And you know what? Sometimes God will test us to see where our dependability is. He will test us to see where our dependability is because sometimes we think we know what to do. Am I talking to anybody here or is it just me? We think we know what to do, but in all of our ways acknowledge him. Don't depend on the arm of the flesh. If you birth it in the flesh, you'll have to sustain it in the flesh. Saul offered sacrifices and was not supposed to. When he comes walking up to the scene, Samuel says, what's going on? You can read it. First Samuel 9 and 10. Check this out. He said, well, you didn't show up. And the people need an answer. And I figured if I make a sacrifice here and we can make a decision on going to war. Samuel said, you have disobeyed the Lord. You've disobeyed the word of the Lord. Just another chapter later, Saul tells him, you go and kill Agag and everything amongst the Amalekites. And what does he do? He goes into the camp of the Amalekites. He kills everything except Agag and keeps the sheep of his choice. 
And when Samuel comes walking back to the camp of Saul, he's like, now, what in my... What are we doing, fam? I thought the word of the Lord came to you, Saul, and said, kill everything. Why do I hear the bleating of sheep? God said, kill it all. And when Samuel came, he, he, he didn't hear hallelujahs. He didn't hear praise the Lord. He didn't hear thank you, God, you've done it again. He hears the bleeding of sheep. Sheep that were making noise that were supposed to be dead. Oof. What's supposed to be dead in your life? I told you I'm coming today. We're growing up. And because you didn't kill it, woof. Because you didn't kill it, it's about to wreak havoc in your life. It's misdirecting you. What's the bleeding of this sheep? What's the bleeding of this destructive habit? What's the bleeding of this gospel? What is this noise from the animals that's coming out of the camp? Why are they still alive? And Saul, Saul says, well, I thought it would be best to keep the sheep of Amalek for sacrificing, Samuel. Samuel says, because you have disobeyed the Lord, the kingdom will be torn from you. Many of you know the story. The prophet rips the robe off Saul. And there in front of Israel, the entire throne is stripped away from Saul. Why? Because God said, I could not trust you to obey me. And this is where we get the scripture. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Obedience is better then sacrifice. We quote it all the time. Because Saul comes back and he says, well, I was going to offer these sheep to God as a sacrifice. He was justifying it. But the word of the Lord is like, obedience is better than sacrifice. As a matter of fact, God's saying, I don't want the sacrifice. I want you to do what I told you to do, when I told you to do it, how I told you to do it. There's, can I just tell you, there's something about obedience that unlocks the goodness of God in your life. If God can trust you in the little instruction, <laughs> if he can't trust you in the little instruction, he'll take away the things. You got to obey. Somebody say obey. Now here's the point. Don't miss this. Here's the point of pride. In both times when Saul's confronted about the sin of disobedience, do you know what he says to Samuel? This is absolutely crazy. Watch this. In Samuel 1, 11, Oh, excuse me, 1 Samuel 11. He says, whatever you do, Samuel, don't let me walk out in front of the people and you not be there with me. Samuel's the prophet. Saul is the king. And you know what Saul is worried about? Because of his disobedience, he's more worried about how he looks among the people. So he says to the man of God, when I go stand before the people, I don't want them to know the kingdom's been taken away from me. Will you just come and make it look like everything is all right? He didn't really want his heart right with God. He just didn't want to lose his influence. Pride, pride, pride. I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and I don't want to have to accept the consequences for my disobedience. But David, David was a man of pardon. David was not a man of pride. 
No, 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 no. David was a man of pardon. Now, I wish I could tell you that David didn't sin. I wish I could tell you, if you read the scriptures, that the reason God chose the house of David is because David was pure, perfect, pristine king, never made a mistake, never messed up, never got a duck out of a road, always made the righteous decision, always did the righteous thing. But when I read this Bible, and this is not the Akil Thompson authorized translation, when I read this Bible, I am appalled at the sin of a man who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. How can you be the sweet psalmist of Israel and yet find yourself during a time when kings go out to war at home, not doing what you're supposed to be doing, on top of a roof, looking at a woman who is bathing naked, summon her to your house, sleep with her, and then go have her husband assassinated. You need to read your Bible. Well, y'all like, like Google and fact-checking. This stuff will be on Ricky Lake, fam. Y'all too young to know about Ricky Lake, praise God. Y'all know my Maury Povich? You are the father. I, I, I was looking at, I thought about the day I almost tried to find some clips, and I was going to play one. This stuff, but then, and then after I watched it, I said, no, I better not. I, I don't even want to tell you what I saw. I was like, this, this one brother was like, then, never mind, let me just focus. You know what? But this is David. This is right here. I've told you this before. If you read this, if this played out cinematically, this would be an X-rated scene. David is a man with a lust problem. Oh, help me, Jesus. Yeah, Y'all don't want me to talk about King David. But King David had a lust problem. You want to know how bad this problem was? It's so bad that when he was dying... You better read the naked truth. So bad when he's dying. He had, it was so known how much of a problem he had with women. They weren't, they weren't sure if he was going to make it. You know what they decided to do? They found a woman who was a virgin, put her in the bed with David. David didn't even respond. They said, oh, yeah, he getting ready to die. They said, y'all you, 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 you need to read your Bible. Y'all need to read your Bible. They say, yeah, it's, it's right there. It, no, uh, they said the king is dead. I didn't say that. The word of God said it. Why? Because he was new, they knew he was dying because as long as he was alive, he was struggling with woman after woman after woman. I know y'all don't want to hear this. The king is not perfect. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He robbed men of their wives. He had women and children. And oh my God, it's Absalom and it's Solomon. I could go down the list and just perpetuate it from generation to generation because he had a problem. Everything went on, tore his whole family up. You don't want me to talk about that. You don't want me to talk about King David when he censored or numbered the people, when God told him not to do it. And it wasn't that the counting of people that really frustrated God. It was the fact that David was willing to count on people more than he was willing to count on God. 
But I don't got time to talk about that either. Here's the thing. The issue is David and Saul are both men of sin. Oh, y'all can't handle me this afternoon. Y'all going to have to help me out. Y'all can't reconcile this, but I want to tell you there's one reason why Jesus decided to come through the house of David and not the house of Saul. It's not because both of them uh, were perfect, because both of them were clearly flawed. But the house of Saul was one of pride. When Saul fell down, Saul refused to get his heart right. Saul wanted only an optic. He wanted an optic of repentance. Mm. He wanted to look like nothing was wrong. But when David messed up, when David sinned, David got down in the middle of a puddle of tears and he said, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You got to understand extraordinary church is a house of pardon. Because if you go to a church that's like the house of Saul, they'll be looking for you to fall. And when you fall, they got a committee, a team ready to finish you off. And they'll throw you off the side of a cliff. You think I'm joking? Read your Bible. They tried to do that to Jesus. Y'all not going to help me today, but you can act like a professional Pentecostal all you want, but I'm talking to somebody in here. You better understand that you better go to a house of David because in the house of David, what has fallen and who has fallen can get back up again. I don't care how you fell down. I don't care how big your mess was. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's how far he removed my sin from the east is the west. We're in a house of pardon. I want this to be a house of pardon. Everyone in this house, hear me today. We are a house, Pastor Barry, of pardon. We don't finish people who fall down. The problem with the saints, we like to finish off our own. We're the ones that will throw the final stone and destroy a brother or a sister. Many times the people who do the accused have their own skeletons in their closet. Nobody found out about yet. But God, give us a spirit to cover our brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about sweeping sin under the rug. I'm not talking about hiding it. I'm talking about restoring our brothers and sisters in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you yourself fall. You can look at me righteously all you want to, but you might need some forgiveness in your future. As a matter of fact, keep living. You might need it by dinner time tonight. Praise God. Y'all don't know what to do. Some of y'all don't know to run or run to the parking lot. You don't know if to clap, shout. And like, what have I gotten myself into? But if you want mercy, you must be a man or a woman of mercy. Oh, and I'm... Y'all know me, you know, you know my heart. I'm sick and tired of this religious thing floating around. People waiting, people accusing, people attacking. You know what people are waiting on? They're waiting on people to fall. Why? So they can take the credit. They want all eyes on them. I said it. I'm going to tell you right now. Yes, God's gifts and callings are without repentance. But if you've got to wait, if you're secretly hoping waiting for your brother or sister to have a train wreck so that you can do your thing, you, sir, you, ma'am, are illegal in the kingdom of God. I want to be a house of mercy. I want to be a house of pardon. 
I want to be a house of pardon. This is why, you know what, when you walk out, this is why I like, you ever, you, you're like, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, Whew. pardon me, I got some issues I'm working through. Pardon me, I got some stuff I'm working through. <laughs> don't, don't sit out there and look all sanctified and holy like you've been speaking in tongues since you came out the womb. I know, I know you don't watch bad movies, you don't cuss, you ain't never tasted alcohol in your life, but don't you think that bad attitude isn't an offense to God? Don't you think your loose lips break the heart of God? You better understand what I'm saying today. I'm thankful, but I'm telling you that we are a house of pardon. We're a house of mercy. We're a house of grace. And people here have struggles, and we are not going to give up on them. We're not going to discard them. We're not going to throw them out. We're going to let them know there's a God who loves them. We're here by to lift them up and encourage them, to pray with them, to say, God's not through with you yet. God wants to help those who are a broken and a contrite spirit. I want to be a house of David because I, I need mercy. Woo. You know, it makes me think of that, that time. This guy was like uh, Jesus telling a story. There was this dude who was a Pharisee, a religious folk. Golly, boy. He was like, this guy's like, man, I'm just, I'm thankful, Isaiah. I ain't never done anything wrong in my life. God's just good. I don't see how people could want to do the stuff they do. So filthy, so, so nasty. I just can't even be around those people. Just look at them. Just, I feel so unholy just even being close to them. That's what this, I told y'all you need to read the book. Then there was this other guy. God, I can't get it right. Every time I tell you I'm not going to do it again, I turn around and do the very thing I don't want to do. God, have mercy on me. Forgive me, Jesus. Cleanse me. Help me, God. Pick me up out of my mess. This is God just screaming. The Bible says that he's beating his chest, crying out for mercy. Who do you think Jesus said was justified? <laughs> Praise God. Look at your neighbor, tell him, pardon me. This is going to be a place of mercy. This is going to be a place of grace. This is going to be a place of hope. Praise God. This is, this is, now, now, I get it, I get it. You know what? Let me, let me just make this plain. This is the beautiful thing uh, about reaching the unchurched. Because this is why we're here. Now, don't get me wrong. I realize the call has gone out. But that call is, it's for everybody. And I get that. But this church is not growing because of transfers. This church is growing because we have a mission to reach the lost, to reach people that need Jesus Christ. And do you think, who, who do you think you are? Let me just pastor for a moment. Who do you think you are? No, I, I think God. But who do you think you are to look at so and so after three months or six months, and they'd be like, "I don't understand how they can do that." I know where they were last night because you scom you combing through their Instagram. But they up here at the altar crying. Those are fake tears. What are you talking about? Why don't you sit down and shut up? As long as they're here, 
The grace of God, the mercy of God is flowing. The love of God is flowing. We're here to encourage them and build them up and to let them know it's not over until God says it's over. He's a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of hope. Why don't you let somebody who's spiritual, why don't you let somebody who's anointed get by and encourage them and lift them up? The Bible says you who are spiritual restore one another in a spirit of meekness. So why don't you let the spiritual people do the work and watch God restore, watch God transform and make something beautiful out of something that was broken. Somebody ought to give him praise. We're a house of pardon. We're a house of pardon. We're a house of pardon. You know why? You know why? This is why this this bothers me, but forgive me, because, you know, I, 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 I am that guy. That's why I, I, I'm stunned how people can always worry about everybody else. What are you doing? How is it that you have time to come back and report something to me about what somebody else is doing? I don't, and it ain't because I'm busy. I am busy, but I have priorities. And when I look in the mirror, I'm like, ooh, you know what? Before I start worrying about a little tiny splinter in somebody else's eye, I, I got a lot to work on. So you, you know why I'm at the altar crying and sobbing? And you know why they're at the altar crying and sobbing? Because they're trying to shake off those generational curses. They're trying to get through decades of dysfunction and destructive habits, negative things that people have spoken over them trying to cancel their futures and their purpose. They're trying to pray through. And we're trying to criticize the devil is a liar. We are a place where people are going to experience hope. We're a place where they're going to experience grace. We're going to pray with them. It ain't over until he says so. This is who we are. We need the grace of God. Here's the second thing. I got to hurry. Second thing. Saul's house was a house of performance. But David's was a house of presence. Saul is all about the optics. Like that. You know what? Saul was a master of performance. He was the, he, he was the only one. Read it. He was the only one who wanted the Ark of the Covenant when he was going into battle. He wanted it like a good luck charm. Like a rabbit's foot. I don't want your glory. I just don't want to lose the battle. So bring the ark to the field so that we can fight and win. Performance. I'm just about as sick and tired of performance. It's about how shiny we can package everything and how cute and colorful we can make the marketing. It's all about the optics. And God says, you know what? Sometimes I'm not interested in you looking so good. No, 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 no. no. See, the king of glory, he ain't about performance. He just said, come on, let me have the animal shed where the stinky animals and the dung of the animals are. There's no room in the hotel, but I didn't come for those who want the glitz and the Ritz-Carlton and the performance. I came for the lowly, the meek, and the humble. Woof. Y'all don't know whether to clap. Y'all don't know whether to shout. Y'all don't know whether to go go to the restaurant. Don't go to the restaurant just yet. Stick with me. Performance is a mentality. 
It's standing up thinking you have all the answers and you can depend on your gift and your ability to sing and your other abilities to negotiate and your oratory skills and all that's wonderful and grandiose and your range might be beautiful and your oratory prowess might be profound and everyone around you thinks you're wonderful and you're fabulous and you're grandiose. But at the end of the day, if it hasn't died to self and come alive in the power of God, you have nothing by which you can help humanity because at the end of the day, your gift will not break the yoke. Your education won't break the yoke. Who you know won't break the yoke. The only way the yoke will be destroyed is by the anointing of the Spirit of God. Get all the education. Do all the planning. Do all the strategizing. Get as good as possible. Grow. But at the end of the day, reach your hand trembling unto the Lord. Saying, God, if you don't do it, it will not get done. Whew. I can't do it by myself, but Saul was a performer. And if you build a house on performance, the king can't show up. We need his glory. We need his presence. Oh, Pastor Akil, why do you got to scream? Why do you got to shout? Why do you got to sweat? One, I need to work out. Praise God. But in all seriousness, I refuse to be satisfied with anything other than his presence. This thing is down in my bones. I'll contend for it. I believe in it. I can't be silent about it. I refuse to let a generation go through the motions. We need his presence. We need his glory. And Saul was a house of performance. Don't miss this. I'm telling you right now, watch this. You need to hear me. Everybody, if this applies to you, deal with it. But here is the deal. I God took the throne away from Saul, but he remained king for 15 years. Literally, the Spirit of God had lifted off of Saul's life, and he still remained king for 15 years, which tells me something. People learn how to do kingdom things without the Holy Ghost. I ain't getting no help on that. Some people know how to be king without the Holy Ghost. They knew how to do the church thing without the presence of the Lord. There's a difference between the house of Saul and the house of David. The house of Saul is all about performance. But when David became king, something shifted in the atmosphere. David said, where, where, where is the Ark of the Covenant? Here's the thing. I'm not in battle. <laughs> I'm not in war. But I want the presence of God. It's not even that I have to have it. I want it. Woo, my God, I want to tell somebody in this room, you better make up your mind if you're going to be all about performance or if you're going to be about presence and presence driven. Because if you love the presence of God, he'll make you look better than you actually look. And I need all the help I can get. Who's a witness? You ever done something and you people are like, how did you do that? You're like, it's God. I want to be a part of something that God builds and people say, I know it wasn't strategy. I know it wasn't planning. It had to be God. Look at all these buildings. Look at all these properties. Look at all these people. He'll make you sing better. He'll make you preach better. He'll make you teach better. 
He'll make you worship better. He'll make you a better husband. He'll make you a better wife. He'll make you a better spouse. He'll make you a better father. He'll make you a better mother. We can't lead without his presence. We can't serve without his presence. I can't preach or teach without his presence. I can't parent without his presence. By God, I can't even go to the gym without his presence. How many need him this afternoon? Come on, how many need God? Why don't you lift your hands and talk to him? Come on, let me ask you a deeper question. How many of you want him? How many of you want him? Need is a matter of necessity. Want is a matter of desire. How many of you want him? How many of you are thirsty for him? Do you just have to have him? Or did you wake up in the morning saying, as the deer panteth after the water, so my soul longs after thee. Ooh, I don't want to live today without your glory. Come on and worship him for a moment. Come on, I don't want to do anything without your presence in my life. Come on, come on. I know you might be like, Pastor Akil, what's going on? This is too intense. This is too spiritual. Says the person who was away from God. This is too much. Says the person who hasn't spoken in tongues in 15 years. No, 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 no. This is what we need in this hour. We need him. We want him. Come on, if you want him, let him know it. If you want him, push through. If you want him, push through the eyes. If you want him, push through the thoughts. If you want him, push through the distractions. If you want him, pursue him. If you want him, let him know it. If you want him, go after him. Woo. See, we get upset. We get upset. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not here for something cute. David wasn't. David didn't have it all figured out. But David wanted the presence of the Lord. This is why you can't give new people a hard time. I don't care if you stand, run. I, I long for the days where we can get rid of anybody who thinks they're professional in their relationship with God. Know just when to clap. Know just when to sit. Know just when to shout. No, away with all that. I want people who don't know how to sit, who will sit Indian style on the floor at the foot of the cross. I want people who come lay stretched out in his presence seeking him. I want people who get behind the preaching, will run, shout, hoop, hollow, begin to pray. Makes no difference. Why? Because they have a desire for him. See, David didn't know how to handle the presence of the Lord, babe. So the first thing David does, he wants the presence of the Lord, but he doesn't know how to handle it. So you know what? They're coming and they're bringing and Uzzah or Uzzah goes out and he touches the ark, and God strikes him dead. So David recognizes, man, this has been an O's house, Obadim's house for 90 days. The blessing, the favor, the power, the purpose, this is amazing. He's reading. He goes back and he reads, figure out how to handle the presence of the Lord. And then he says, well, you know what? The presence of the Lord should not be carried on a cart. The presence of the Lord should be ushered in by men and women who have consecrated themselves unto the Lord. So he says, let me find some people who have set themselves apart and will understand to get these staves and put them on their shoulders and they'll begin to usher in the presence of the Lord. And as they begin to usher in the presence of the Lord, literally they would take six steps and every six steps, David would celebrate and he would sacrifice. In other words, we don't often talk about this, but the only Every six steps, in other words, they would look back and on his way to the city, 
he would turn back and look and he would see a trail of blood. Because it's only the blood. My God, I need somebody to help me before I preach myself happy in this place today. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us clean. You can look behind you, honey. I don't see my past. I see the blood. The blood that's cleansed me. The blood that saved me. The blood that washed me. The blood that kept me. It's the blood. And that's why I stop and give him praise. That's why I stop and shout. That's why I stop and dance. Because it's been the blood. Come on and give him praise in this place. Come on and give him worship. Come on and celebrate him. Okay. I want us to stand. I'm going to hurry because it's 427 and I'm already over two and a half minutes. Our music team will come. I got more. I'm going to give you one more. Ooh, hear me. Here's the third juxtaposition that I want you to catch. Saul was a house of position. David was a house of praise. Remember, Pastor Barry, this is crazy. David, David is the first Uber Eats. Shows up and he says, hey, what's going on here? I hear this uncircumcised Philistine defying my God. He's, oh, David, you just, you about yourself. You know, sit down, go away, blah, blah, blah. And he goes and he talks. He's just delivering some bread and cheese, some encouragement. Goes to Saul. Now watch this. Watch this. This is crazy. I'd never seen it like this until, until today. He goes, talks to Saul, says, I'm going to fight him. And Saul's like, this dude's been fighting since he was a kid. He said, you, your resume is bears and lions. Is this what we're dealing with? He says, why don't you put on my armor and go out and fight? You know why he did that? Saul's motivation was so that people would see the king did it. Wasn't about protecting David at all. Wasn't trying to position David to be helpful or to be successful. No, I want people when they look. Is that the king? Is that, is that Saul? I want them when they come back. When he comes back, I, 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 want, I want people to look at my armor and say, well, what, well, what happened there? Oh, that was when I, I fought Saul. I mean, I fought Goliath. That's, that's what he wanted. He wanted to earn the victory. It was all about position and optics for Saul. But David, <laughs> David was so consumed with his presence David was so consumed with his glory that David began to dance out of his outer garments. David began to shout and David began to worship and David began to sing and David began to dance and David began to spin and the next thing you know, David is in the presence of the Lord and his wife thinks 
People are mocking him. She says, look at the king and how you have humiliated yourself in front of your maid servants. He looked back at his wife. Let me tell you the Akil Thompson authorized translation. Michael, you don't know like I know what he's done for me. So if you think what I'm doing now is unacceptable, let me give you a front row seat. Zip your lips while I put a praise on this. I put a prayer. I've got a hallelujah you haven't seen. I've got a thank you Jesus that will shake the foundations. I've got a glory and an I love you God that will let you know I want your presence. It don't care how I feel. I can be sick, I'll praise him. I cannot have any money in the bank, I'll praise him. I can have money in the bank. He's worthy of my praise. I'll praise him when the sun is going up and when the sun is coming down. But the God I serve is worthy of, of my praise. And I want his presence. I need his presence. I have to have his presence. And if you think it doesn't take all that, you don't know he's my God of the impossible. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.